Unfortunately, it looks like we're being ghosted by Drew again this week. What well, an excellent reference during Halloween there, Eric. Great job out of you. <laughs> Can't believe it. Well, hopefully with any luck, he'll uh, materialize uh, from the, uh, the, the, uh, the dark beyonds. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, and hope his internet is uh, working and he's ready to rock and roll when, when we get going again. And so how are you doing, Brandon? I'm doing well, man. It sounds like you're uh, you're still feeling a little bit sick there, so hoping uh, hoping you get better, especially for a uh, big Browns game this weekend. Get back on in the the winning ways. Hopefully, your voice is fully back and ready to go, so we can yell and scream at our TVs. Hopefully, in the positive manner this time. Yeah, I've, I've got to heal up because I've got uh, what another ten days, eight days, nine days, whatever it is, until I'm at home for the Buffalo game. Yeah, Bills game. So I need baby. to. Yeah, I need to make sure that. My voice is healed for that. I'll uh, be sitting uh, with uh, our buddy Pumpkinhead uh, down there right above the visitor's entrance. Uh, me and my buddy Tim are flying up uh, from Atlanta on Friday, so we're going to make it a Cleveland weekend. I'm going to show him the uh, the ropes and show him why Cleveland's such an awesome city. And, and he, he gets tired of me bragging about it, and he wants to see it. So, hey, Tim, if you're listening – buckle up buddy we're gonna have a lot of fun just to put this into perspective i don't go to bed early on saturdays i'm gonna go to bed early on that saturday so that i can be ready to roll come sunday oh yeah i, I can't i cannot wait um it's been a long time coming i haven't been to a game obviously since last year christmas time mm-hmm. uh, i'm gonna try to come up again uh for one other game uh hopefully it's gonna be a playoff game but i, I i'm hoping <laughs> to come up for another game this year yeah uh, <laughs> be a playoff game is going to be a tall call though but hey before we start talking about uh the browns and what's going on with the browns when we talk about some saturday football and what's going on with our buckeyes they uh they moved up uh they're solidly number three uh shockingly and maybe not shockingly but lsu jumped up to one alabama's two our buckeyes mm-hmm. are three and then you've got uh clemson at four hanging on uh, regardless of Trevor Lawrence's play. But, uh, man, our Buckeyes are awesome. What do you think? Holy crap. I mean, if you're being honest, they have three legitimate Heisman candidates. Absolutely should be in the discussion are J.K. Dobbins, Justin Fields, and Chase Young. And obviously Chase Young was the big highlight of, of the weekend. I think a lot of people maybe outside of uh, Ohio and in the Columbus area don't know him as, as well as they should. And uh, it seemed like all the uh, – <laughs> All Gus and uh, and was it Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson? I think both of them are on the call, and that's Chase yeah. Young was the only only thing they could talk about when when Wisconsin Badgers were on the offense. Not about that awesome running back they have because he couldn't do anything. I will tell you what: if Chase Young doesn't start getting some honest to goodness run for the Heisman, something's wrong with college football. Well, wait yeah. a second, we already know a lot of stuff's wrong with college football, but true. Uh, the last the last. Uh, defensive player to win the Heisman was Charles Woodson, who, oddly enough, actually uh, graduated high school with one of my very best friends in Fremont, Ohio. So, oh, you know, no there's kidding. a lot of Ohio ties uh, to, to football, to sports in general. But, yeah, Woodson from Fremont High School there in Ohio was the last defensive player to uh, win the uh, Heisman. Yeah, and it seems like it's been a while even since there's been anybody with any real consideration. The last time I can even think that there was anybody, I mean, even invited with, I mean, Manti Teo was invited, right? I think. Was he invited back in the day a few years ago? It seems you know, like other I, than that, he's the only one I can think of off the top of my head that's been like you know, kind of in the I, discussion. I don't know, but uh, I mean, Chase Young, I mean, he just, what, he had four sacks this past weekend, which. Yeah. It, it was a tie to Buckeye record, which yep. it's when you think about it, it's like holy cow! In the in the illustrious history of Ohio State football, 
for that to be the record is kind of shocking to think about all those players that rolled through there. I mean, just here recently with the Bosa brothers, I mean, not even either of the Bosa brothers had that kind of game, which is amazing to think out, think about. And I remember watching Chase Young last year, seeing that how just dominant he was on the playing field and then coming into this year and watching him play now. I mean, they always say when you look at these games, like the Buckeyes, there's certain programs, the Buckeyes, the Bama's, you know, there's certain programs that there's just their men amongst the boys when they're yeah. playing the other team. Well, Chase Absolutely. Young is like the man of men playing against little itty bitty boys on the field. I mean, he's just tearing up these mm-hmm. offensive lines and making mincemeat of these quarterbacks. And it, it's, man, it's awesome to see whoever drafts him. And the uh, in the 2020 draft is going to get one hell of a player. And I think if you have the number one pick next year in the NFL draft, you would be hard pressed to pass up. Yeah. It's Young's talent. It's sad. I almost wish the Browns sucked another year so we could get get a Buckeye on the squad with that pick. Oh, uh, I mean, man. he's he's fantastic. And, and to your point, it's it's incredible that, you know, he tied a school record. He had four sacks, five tackle for losses, six tackles overall, two forced fumbles, the Four sacks and the five tackles for losses were both tying school records. What's incredible to me is, yes, we've had so many, I mean, an illustrious profile of, you know, pass rushers enter the league, even in recent years. You know, why does this come against arguably one of the best games on our schedule? You would think coaching alone would would avoid something like that happening. But yet, you know, even when we're playing against the the Tulsa's and the, you know, the smaller, worst teams on our schedule, we're not putting up that kind of a, a stat. But yet against arguably the biggest game of the year for the Buckeyes, I know it's not anymore. Um, you know, he puts up those kinds of numbers. It's just ridiculous. Big players shine in big moments. And, you know, that's why he's he should be on absolutely everyone's Heisman radar. And if you're not, I mean, he only had 10 and a half sacks last year. He's already at 13 and yeah. a half. And you could <laughs> you could arguably say he might end his junior year with 20 plus sacks. Yeah, that is insane to think yeah. that he might be in in that lofty area. Um, yeah. I mean, going into that game, I know that Wisconsin's only won one game out of the past, I don't know, dozen games against the Buckeyes. But Mm -hmm. I said last week, you know, Penn State and Wisconsin are really more of a uh, rival to the Buckeyes nowadays than even, you know, that dreaded school up north. Mm -hmm. Um, And I went into that game with a lot of trepidation. I was very nervous. Um, You know, everyone kept asking me and I told you I thought it was going to be a two score game. I think last mm-hmm. week I said it was going to be somewhere in the range of 35 21. Yeah, I had no idea what the hell was going on. But Wisconsin crapped the bed. I mean, there's no other way around it, but they really did. And talking about the Heisman, Justin Fields, unfortunately, because we are so dominant, I think he is playing himself out of the Heisman, but for reasons that are not anything to do with poor performance it's just that he's not getting yeah well jk dobbins but also the fact that that he's not in the games late enough to rack up those stats and to pad those stats so his stat lines look like nothing for a game but you know Mm -hmm. he's throwing for what 150 yards but he has four touchdowns yeah that you know everyone's looking at those stats and you know he had a pedestrian game but they don't they're not watching the entirety of the the buckeyes and and again, they did prove this past week, offense, defense, and special teams, that they are the the team to beat this year. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, unbelievable performance. Uh, but you said J.K. Dobbins, you know, he should be getting some run uh, for the uh, the Heisman, and I absolutely agree. Uh, you know, the, the thing that came up with him is he's the, uh, well, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, Brandon, but he is the first running back in Buckeyes history, and we are a running back university. To have a thousand yards rushing in his freshman, sophomore, and junior seasons, uh, which he's already over a thousand yards for yeah. this year, which is yes. amazing. Yeah, I think I think that stat is correct. I think I remember hearing something like that over the weekend. The 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 main reason I point to him and say, you know, this guy deserves Heisman hype and you know that kind of a, you know, people need to think of him at that kind of a level is because. The guy that he was facing off against in this game, Jonathan Taylor, definitely was already receiving Heisman hype. He wasn't leading by any standards, but he was receiving that kind of recognition. And even before entering the game, you know, on Saturday, last Saturday, Dobbins had, I think, almost identical yards on way less carries, 
had a, a much better yard per carry than than Taylor. Um, and on top of that, uh, you know, he wasn't playing, you know, every single snap like like uh, like Taylor is. Master Teague was still getting, you know, snaps. Fields is getting rushing yards, you know, when he's on the field. And then you add in the yards and the touchdowns from, you know, from the weekend and specifically, you know, seeing how the two fare against each other. And it just looked like Dobbins has, I don't know, maybe more 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 speed, power. Dy- he just seemed more dynamic. I, I thought he's, you know, Jonathan Taylor is a fantastic player, but he's he's they just hand the ball to him and he runs and he can't doesn't seem like he's as dynamic out of the backfield and the blocking. I, I don't know. It just looked like Dobbins was the better player. Well, good Ohio State defenses have a tendency to shut down these illustrious backs. Uh, I mean, you look at what we did to say Con Barkley two yep. years ago. Forty-four. Yards I can't rushing. talk right now. Sorry, guys. If if uh, I sound a little sick or I mash up a name, it, it, I'm. Still dealing with a little bit of a sinus infection, but uh, I apologize. But Saquon <laughs> Barkley, we we shot him down yep. uh, two years ago, and Absolutely. and the Buckeyes have had a history of doing that. We you know we are very good at stopping those those big name running backs. Yep. And I now I said that uh, Taylor would have you know if we kept Taylor to under a hundred yards, kept him around ninety yards, that we would win going away. What how many yards did he have final in that game? <laughs> I think it was in the fifties. I could be wrong. Um, I'll follow back up with you that in the in our as we go on with the discussion. But I mean, it's it it was well under a hundred, and on top of that, there were I don't they had one wow. touchdown, but it was yeah. through the air. Fifteen so it wasn't rushes, fifteen rushes for forty-one yards. Yeah, I mean, just look at your yards per carry. I think that's the best. Oh way no, to no, 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 no! Oh, oh, sorry, that I I pulled up the wrong stat. Uh, Google betrayed me. That was uh, <laughs> 2017 title game. Uh, in his loss this past week, it was 20 rushes for 52 yards. So, yeah, worse 20 rushes. No, actually, it's identical. It's two. Oh, is it? Okay. 20, yeah, it's identical. So he 52 yards on 20 carries. Uh, and and I love Jonathan Taylor. I mean, again, I think he's going to be a an elite level running back in the NFL. Uh, the only reason I bring it up is it's just amazing what that swarming defense of the Buckeyes can do. I mean, there's just too much talent on that that on that defense. Um, again, that's why right now with LSU being ranked number one, look, they've earned it. And even though, I, you know, look, <laughs> Auburn was overranked, Florida was overranked, yeah, probably absolutely. two biggest overranked teams in the SEC. Well, I'd say Texas was just as overranked as they were, just not in the same conference. Yeah, but it, it's so LSU being number one, I don't have any problems with it, uh, um, you know, because quite frankly, now with the, the playoff the way it is, look, we just need to be in the top four and take care of business and everything is going to work itself out. Um, but LSU right now is still second to Ohio State as far as playing. Uh, there are some weaknesses on L- with LSU. They're not many. I mean that that offense is just you know just amazing. I don't know how much how many of those games you've watched, but yeah, uh, Ohio State graduate Joe Burrow, he went down to Cajun Country, and I tell you what, those those boys were were teaching those Southerners how to <laughs> how to play football with those those Ohio boys. Um, and then you know Alabama again. I'm just I'm not impressed. I and you know and and, and I'm trying not to let my anti SEC bias show here. Uh, living here in SEC country, mm-hmm. I, I've seen a lot of Alabama, Georgia, Florida games. Uh, I actually thought the first you know couple weeks of the season that the two best teams in the country were Ohio State and Georgia. They were the two most complete teams at the time. And then Georgia went and laid that egg against South Carolina. So, yeah, so just unbelievable. They're no longer in that, yeah, and they're no longer in that conversation. Neither is... Uh, a Notre Dame after they crapped the bed versus uh, uh, Michigan, which which probably was the biggest shocker this past weekend. Uh, did, you, did you happen to catch any of that game at all? No, no, I didn't. Um, and what I would say is Notre Dame, as always, as always, comes in. I, I, I hate to keep pointing fingers and saying overrated, but God, were they overrated. Their quarterback play was just terrible. And how about that game plan on offense to just throw the ball constantly in absolute crap weather? I will tip my hat to, to Harbaugh. He ran the ball like 50-something times in crappy weather. That's usually, a you know, a 
formula for success and it just doesn't make any sense to me why why a team would try to pass in those conditions when you don't have you know a Heisman candidate quarterback and you know absolute stud star receivers at every position you know Ohio State can do that because we have three four guys going to the draft literally every year it seems like for for receiver I know last year was the case and I'd say this this group of receivers is just as talented maybe a step behind and it's only getting better so you know, I, I don't get why why the game plan was that for for Notre Dame. I don't think they deserve to even be ranked in, you know, inside the top 20. And I see that they're sitting at 16 in both the AP and the coaches poll, you know, but hats off to Michigan. You know, they're a two loss team. They're they're, you know, just kind of on. I'd say this is a better version of their revenge tour because there's nothing to lose now before they had all the pressure. No, because there, they were, there's not. And that, that actually makes them a wounded animal and makes them very, very dangerous in that yeah. last game. Absolutely. Um, what I, think. I don't see. I mean, I do know that the Penn State game is always going to be a rough one for us. I mean, the Penn State's in there at 8-0. Uh, you know, Minnesota, I mean, look at them. They're 8-0 in the Big Ten uh, in, in the in the West, which, you know, you would have never thought that. But don't sleep on them just because it's Minnesota and they haven't had a great team. And God, I'm I don't even know how them. long. I'm sleeping on them. And here's why I'm sleeping on them. If you check their eight wins... These were, for the most part, not all, but a majority of these first couple of wins were, holy crap, we barely made it out alive. And there's no yeah, way that can what? continue. You know I what, though? I just don't see it happening. Go ahead. A win is a win is a win. I mean, yeah, you are right. They basically won their first four games by one score. Um, but, you know, they had a solid win versus Illinois, a convincing win versus Nebraska, a really great game against Rutgers and Maryland. So, I just I, I don't ever count them out and I don't I think the one thing you can comment about Ryan Day here with the Buckeyes is conversely to Urban and even though I love Urban and I'm not saying anything bad about Urban Ryan Day seems to have this way to make sure that these boys are playing at the highest level at all times and they're not letting off the pressure um, yeah. there were times under Urban Meyer where they would kind of relax and yeah, let these get in there, <clears throat> or it would be like they, they, you know, they came in expecting to to roll over and steamroll these teams, and when they got a little, you know, when they got punched in the face and a little bit of feed or pushback, you know, they kind of stumbled backwards. But Ryan Day has these this Buckeye team like just full steam ahead, and it, it's really nice to see. I mean, it's just it, it's just nice to see that there's been no drop off from Urban leaving. Uh, and, and actually, it, it, maybe this fresh Ryan Day, uh, you know, look to the team, maybe, maybe it's got a little bit of his attitude and maybe that's not a bad thing. But uh, I'm really no, looking I think forward it's a great to thing. it. I mean, it's it's going to be uh, winding down, uh, you know, the, the last half of the season, the last third of the season is going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, we've got four games left. Um, you know, we still got. Uh, Let's see here. We still got this weekend. We two got quality early. opponents we got on the schedule. Yeah, we and the last two weeks of the season are, are going to be our roughest. I mean, you you potentially could have two undefeated teams uh, facing off, and if it's not the game of the week, I'll be shocked. But it'll be Ohio State, Penn, uh, Penn State. Uh, mm-hmm. They're coming to the to the shoe, which uh, bodes well in our favor. Um, mm-hmm. And then we've got to go to the big house. Um, so we're, we'll see what happens there, but. Uh, again, they're, Michigan's a wounded animal right now. I liken them to a wounded animal. And if you've got a, a undefeated Buckeye team going into the big house, and it's our that's our rival, uh, they're going for blood. And, and Harbaugh's coaching for his job. I mean, because you can honestly say that if Harbaugh doesn't win that game, uh, people and the, the you know his the board of trustees and his his boosters they they might be calling for his head. I think yeah, I think everybody's kind of got that on their mind. I mean, he was very fortunate to get a win. Not fortunate, he well deserved win against Notre Dame. But you know, previously his, uh, you know, his record against top ten teams was uh, I think like one in seven or something like that. It was it was very bad because every year he faced Ohio State, he loses. And you know, Penn State's been very good in the past couple of years, and he's had you know not as much success against them either. So you know, you face those two teams once a year, and and you can already see how those. Those losses start piling up, but uh, yeah, I, I think your point of the wounded animal, I, Michigan, 
at this point, this is, I, like I said before, this, this is their revenge tour, if they're going to have one. I don't necessarily yeah. think this team is nearly as good if, as it was, you know, the, you know, last year, maybe even the year before that. But this team, whether or not it's good, you know, everything goes out the, you know, everything goes out the door when it comes to the game. And uh, well, hey. the biggest rival really in college sports. Well, hey, uh, try to tie up some of this uh, NCAA football talk here. Did you see the and, – and speaking of Halloween, did you see the commercial with Eddie George? I did not. No. No, what's that Oh, about? God, it's, it's, it's great. So it's it trick-or-treat. my radar here. Yeah, it's trick-or-treat. And these two little boys walk up trick-or-treating to Eddie George's house. Eddie George answers the door, and he's in his Buckeye number 27 jersey. And the two boys walk up. One's dressed, you know, I don't know the player's number, but it, he was in the helmet, the Wolverines helmet and jersey. And a kid standing to his side is dressed like Jim Harbaugh in his khakis and everything <laughs> with a whistle. And Eddie George opens the door and he goes, no. And I think he said, I think he said <laughs> no, not, not today, not today or something like that. All I know is I died laughing. I was like, it was fantastic. Um, yeah. I, do you like I don't know about you, but do you, Halloween is one of my favorite holidays. I don't know uh, where you sit with that, but it, it, it's this ranks up there. It might only be second to Christmas for me. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I I like Halloween. As a kid, it was always a blast, but I feel like it's really cool when you're a kid. And this is I, I hate that I'm mirroring this take from from part of my, my take, but it's it's so true. Um, it's really really cool when you're a kid. And you actually get to go and get the the candy, and then when you're like you know, whatever year you stop doing that up until the year that you get into college, it totally sucks because it's nothing. It's, you know, it's cool to watch movies or whatever, but you know, there's nothing, you know, that jumps out and grabs you. Then you get to college and it's like best times ever. Cause it's some of the coolest parties, you know, you get to do the fun costumes and then it becomes awkward, you know, probably three or four years after you're out of college. Cause no, then it's like, no. you can only go back, back to college for so many years. And then once you have kids, then you like start the fun all over again. So I'm looking oh, forward see. to like hanging on to the few more years of like being now, able to still, go back to college. I still, uh, you know, every Halloween we try to do our best to scare everyone, all the trick or treaters. I'll, I'll paint my face, uh, something creepy, death, like a skeleton. Usually the skeleton and dra- dressing in black works perfect. You, okay. you, you dim the lights on the patio. I got fog machines going. I've got the Halloween music <laughs> going. Little kids, and now little kids come up to the door. I don't scare them. I, I, you know, I don't try to jump. But like the older kids, when they come up, my the best move is when I sit there and I'm dead still, and they think I'm a stuffed dummy. Yeah, yeah. Candy (laughs) in my lap because you know they can't tell because I, you know, I do. I look, you know, I've got black pants on, black shoes, black shirt, and my face is painted like a skeleton. You can't see my hair because I have it all wrapped up. Uh, and covered, and so I'll just sit there, and sometimes I'll just keep my eyes just closed so I can see them, but they can't tell if my eyes are real or not. Mm-hmm. And then right as they go to reach into the bowl to grab some candy, I like just do a little jerk. Oh, it's the best ever to see kids just run and scream. <laughs> uh, or we we've even had kids, you know, we we've even had like neighborhood kids that'll hide behind the bushes and come out and do the you know the the boo. And yeah. you know, just the classic boo, and it's amazing the effect it get. No, Halloween is one of my favorite holidays. Me and my wife, my my wife has my entire house decorated with pumpkins and skeletons, and we have a skeleton in the fireplace, and it's it's just as morbid as you can get. But we have so much fun with it. Now I love, love this time of year. No, uh, it's a, it's good. I wish we actually at least were up in Ohio. We're not really getting any fall weather. We skipped right from summer into winter. We're already expecting some. Uh, potential rain and snow this weekend and we haven't had like a day in the 60s it feels like this entire year we jumped from 70 80s down to 40s and 50s and it hasn't been like that fun temperature where you're outside and like uh, a long sleeve shirt and a light jacket we've been you know winter coats to short sleeve shirts and 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 shorts it, it it's kind of a the fall weather is my favorite and we haven't gotten to experience that so that's my bummer oh, right now but, well, talk, but hey, I, I do love the the holiday Talking bad weather and scary stuff. Um, you know, the Browns are traveling to Denver. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, the temperatures in Denver are already brutal. And, uh, you know, it, right now there's a lot for the Browns to be scared of. I mean, it's um, last week's game. Brandon, oh, I was driving Sunday. It's a true story. I was driving to Charlotte. Uh, unfortunately, I had to go during the game. So 
Uh, I actually had an NFL Sunday ticket on my phone, and I set it mm-hmm. on the dash, and I was keeping one eye on the road, one eye on the game. Um, that sounds like a death sentence, man. Dude, I can't. Uh, I can't I, I still watching the Browns. Are you kidding not, me? I may or may not have gone over the double white line once or twice. No, I would, it was I mean, safe. Like, yeah. Even I if I had like a co-pilot, I just like I can't watch the games without having to just like jump around and like freak out. Yeah, uh, well, you know, when you are my age <laughs> and you've dealt with when you're years, a veteran. <laughs> yeah, when I'm when you're a grizzled veteran with a calloused heart, you can handle that stuff a little bit more. But no, it's uh, so I watched the game, you know, more so actually, you know, I, sorry, officer, I did not watch the game. I was listening to the game most of. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but no, I, I, I listened to the game and, and man, that the first quarter. Now, look, I know it was driving rain and mm-hmm. the New England weather sucked. And I don't blame Chubb for the uh, Betonio f- foot fumble. No, yeah, I, can't. I don't it's blame Chubb for the fumble on the long run because I don't even remember who it was. I don't know. It was a Chung. I don't know who hit the ball out uh, on Chubb's long run, but. but um, you can't fault a guy who's not known for, known for fumbling. I actually went to Twitter mm-hmm. and defended him because I, I heard people saying, bench him, sit him, teach him a lesson. Oh, my like, God. He's one of the Nick best running backs right in the NFL. Now, Nick Chubb right now might be it's like top three running backs in the NFL. Yeah, and absolutely. there were extenuating circumstances in that game with the driving rain. And look, one play was freak with Betonio kicking the ball. I mean, that's just a freak play. Yeah. The Absolutely. second one was one. It's pouring down rain and it's like just coming down in buckets. But the the Pats defender made a phenomenal play at the ball. He punched the ball out. Yeah, you just got to tip your hat to the Pats defender. I think if that was a you know sixty five degree day and it was sunny outside, no way does Chubb drop that ball, man. But the people that wanted to bench Chubb, look, Chubb was not the problem that game. Chubb was the reason why we were in that game to begin with. Chubb's the reason we came back and made it a one-score game. Oh, yeah. He played uh, – when you actually look at it from the stats perspective, if you just throw out the fumbles, which I know you can't you know, look at it without looking at the fumbles, but he was dominating the team at the line of scrimmage. Our offensive line, it looked like on both sides of the ball, we're getting pretty good push. You know, our defense didn't do a terrible job. It was the offense that kept screwing them, and, you know <laughs> – I don't get the play call in which Baker flipped it right into the player. I, I, I just don't get it. It made no sense. So, uh, you know, I guess we'll never know what, you know, what could have happened if oh. we would have never had those terrible, you know, terrible things happen, whether it's bad luck or a bad play call. But you get rid of those three turnovers, and that how can you not say that's a totally different game? But we yeah, only so lost by two scores. Look, through through seven games, through eight weeks, who is the biggest blame for the problems the Browns are having right now? Uh, if you don't say Freddie Kitchens, I just don't think you're watching the games. I and, just and don't see, see how it couldn't be him. And that's where I'm at right now. Uh, and I'm I'm actually starting to turn my eyes toward to to John Dorsey. And I, I have I have reverence for Dorsey. I think he's done a fine job of amassing talent on this team. And putting together a good team. The problem is, is do we have the leadership on the field, not in the front office, but on the field, that is capable of leading these guys as their their field general and charging them on the field and keeping them together as a unit? The penalties are ridiculous. I think we had 13 again this past game. Yep. 13 penalties. We are far and away the most penalized team in the league. And it's usually the Raiders that are that team. And here it's the Browns now. Uh, something's got to give. And, and granted, there are eh, 10% of those for, for the whole season that are just terrible officiating problems because mm-hmm. officiating is bad across the entire league. Um, yeah. But th- there, that says a lot about coaching. Um, and I heard some people say it's it's players. It's players' execution. Well, yeah, the players are the ultimate responsible party when they commit a penalty. They mm-hmm. jump off sides or they change a cadence. But who holds but, them accountable? Yeah, the accountability rests with the coach. Because I'll tell you what, if the accountability didn't rest with the coach, the coach wouldn't get fired for a team going 2-5 and five or 0-16 oh mm-hmm. or 1-15. and Because if the coach isn't responsible for the play on the field and it's the players – 
there'd be a hell of a lot more turnover throughout the NFL on these rosters. And there's not, you know, there, yes, there are, but the core players typically stay together on those teams. It's to me, you're right, Brandon, it's Freddie kitchens. And I told you last week that if we went in and after two weeks, we're ill-prepared for the game. I'm almost positive. I said that that would be an indictment on Freddie kitchens and I'm sticking to my guns. Freddie, I think if he's not feeling a little bit of heat from Dorsey, from Haslam, and from everybody else inside that front office, then we got bigger problems than even I thought because he should be feeling some heat. Yeah, absolutely. And as much as we like the, you know, gee golly, Andy Griffith show that he sometimes puts on, and Mm -hmm. and I have nothing against that. I mean, I live in the South. I, I, you know, I, that, you know, so the good old boy thing doesn't really phase me anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what does phase me is the wins and losses. And right now, Freddie, you're not much better than Hugh Jackson was, and that's not saying much. Yeah, it's just so unfortunate that I don't know. Looking back right now, do you think the Browns would be two and five if we had Mike McCarthy as a head coach? I mean, seriously, think about that—a a chiseled veteran like McCarthy. If we do you had think the Browns a- are two and five. If we had a veteran coach in here, uh, let's just say it was Mike Mike McCarthy, or maybe let's just say it was Bruce Arians. If we had either Mm -hmm. one of those guys that openly lobbied for the position, I would say, do we win that Titans game? I say absolutely, because I think you can coach through the hype if you had a veteran. Uh, Do we win the 49ers game? I don't know. Now that seeing them play, I don't know. Maybe that's still no. a loss. I still put that one down as a loss. But you guys, I still put the that Rams as a loss. game, if, if they don't look like the same team, even if you just sub them out for one play, you could have won that game just to tell them to run the ball with Chubb. I mean, do we guys, win the Seahawks game? I mean, would if, hope if so if you get a lead like that. I think with a 20 point lead and a, and a veteran coach, I think we would get a win. So, honest to God, I think the difference between the team right now being two and five and five and two is. A, a tried and true coach. And look, that's not to say that I don't want Freddie to stay on as the coach. I'm not asking for his head. I'm not asking yeah. for him to be fired. I'm the I, same think, as you. I think Freddie can be a great coach. I think he's in the right spot with a great group of people, but he's got to accelerate his learning curve. I mean, going from a running, running back coach to the OC to the head coach, that is a huge leap. And yes, I know he's been in the league a long time, but Dude, you know, there's that old adage, shit or get off the pot. Yeah. Freddie, it's time to start crapping because uh, what we've been seeing here, pardon the pun and, you know, here, but it's, it's been pretty shitty. No, I mean, and they're, they're just spinning their tires against good teams and teams that they should beat. They, you know, I know we've had a really tough schedule up to this point. And, you know, you could point to that as a cop out for Freddie. And I could definitely see that as a point. But, you know, knowing the talent that's on this team and knowing that even with Freddie as a coach, the certain points during the game at which we were up or in it and to see the the, the failed results that have came in the ensuing weeks is is got to be frustrating, you know, for everybody else as much as it is for me. Um, I think they went with Freddie because they wanted the high risk, high reward situation. I, I think Dorsey kind of wanted that. I don't think Dorsey likes to play things, you know, you know, very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Vanilla. I don't think he likes to yeah. go with the easy choice. He likes to, he likes to Do you just, agree? Just... I was going to say, do you agree with the sentiment that's out there right now that people say that the only reason that, pardon me, that Dorsey took Freddie over, say, Greg Williams uh, was because he could use Freddie as a puppet? Uh, because there's some rumors that, you know, the, the relationship between Dorsey and Andy Reid over there in Kansas City uh, was tumultuous. And so, you know, do you think that maybe Dorsey hired Kitchens because he could pull the, the puppet strings on him a little bit more? Or do I you mean, think I could definitely see that fans talking? I, I think I think it's probably more fans talking. It's probably more fans talking than actual truth. But I can definitely see that. I, what's been really interesting to me is, you know, we couldn't stop talking and including the media about Dorsey during the off season. But since the second, this, you know, season 
has began and we actually started playing games, you know, I just don't hear much from him or I don't hear much about him. I don't see him in the news as much. It seemed like every week we'd have a blockbuster, you know, trade deal or something in the headlines where Dorsey's name would get brought up. And, you know, now it's, you know, we're in the headlines. Yeah. Thank God we did not pull the trigger for, uh, for Williams. Oh, thank God. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad that we didn't do anything at the trade deadline for the most part. Obviously we did move some pieces. Avery's out. Um, you know, he's on his way to Philadelphia and we'll get to play his first game. Um, which is a about shame. That, but, yeah, yeah, that's a shame we couldn't find a place for him on this defense. That's such a shame for such a great draft pick at the value we got him for. It's you know tough to see that, but and I know, think that reflects on coaching. And I know it may he may not have fit in Wilkes, uh, you know, scheme. And you know we we did have you know uh, uh, Olivia Vernon uh, that they're, they're playing the same role. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but again, he he was such a dominant figure last year it's like that's a kind of player like you just got to find him touches on the field i mean they're just and, but and hey. he's the, he's the nick chubb of the defense too he's that guy yeah. that just goes in doesn't complain gets his shit done gets out that's the type of players i want on my roster and we yeah. just trade well, him hey, for he's, i think i think we're gonna see that he's gonna he's gonna have a solid career i think you know philadelphia got one hell of a player and we're gonna Absolutely. miss him but uh hey let's talk about the broncos this weekend so the the bronze are traveling out to to Denver, and I think they're finally making the right call. They're not. They're they're going out the day before because I think when they when they went to uh, San Francisco, I think they went out the day of or the morning of or some some crazy thing. So oh, that's terrible. They're finally doing something right, but good. You know, everyone keeps saying, "Hey, the Broncos, this is a win." And I one with the way the Browns have been playing, nothing's a win. <laughs> Yeah, but Tennessee two, was already a foregone conclusion for a win if you would have checked back week one. But you know, obviously, we saw how that ended. The only thing that we've got going for ourselves is that they are bringing in Brandon Allen as their quarterback. He he's never played a game in the NFL. Um, he's he's bounced around a little bit, uh, but has never played a game in the NFL. Period. So we don't know exactly what we're going to see against him. Uh, Joe Flacco says is you know are they holding him out because his neck hurts? I think that one there might be a little bit of writing on the wall. I think Flacco's days in the NFL may be more numbered than he even wants to admit, but. Look, Denver's defense is ranked fourth over, overall in, in uh, total defense. Uh, they're 19th against the run. They're fourth against the pass. And they're eighth in points allowed. So the one thing Denver's got going for itself is the defense. Altitude. The altitude. <laughs> and so their strength against our weakness is not great. And then if you look at our defense, you know, we're – 20th overall, 12th against the rush, 20th against the pass, and 20th. Yeah, but those stats have definitely been, you know, those stats aren't, I think, the perfect look at things because we face some incredible offenses, and our True. offense has put our defense in an absolute True. garbage situation. But so I think our defense is being unfairly punished. I know, but the reason I bring those up is to point out the fact that Again, I want to reiterate is that Denver's strength, one of the best defenses in the NFL, led by Von Miller, against quite arguably probably one of the worst offenses in all of the NFL, which is it pains me to say with the collection of talent we have. This has to be the game that Baker and Landry, OBJ, show up and actually finally put in a complete complete game and i don't mention chubb in there because chubb's been fantastic yeah and there's no reason to mention chubb as we've mentioned before he's he's absolutely a top five running back guaranteed and you know even from there i think he's got upside i'm gonna i'm gonna call out a friend on here connor smith you you kind of let me knew you you let me know that i was uh probably a, a little bit more negative than i needed to be on the browns on last week's podcast and i now that we are done with that absolute terrible stretch of games on the schedule, I am now flipping to a much more positive brand and on the Browns. I really do think the Browns have the schedule set up to make a run to the playoffs. While I'm not saying that our, our past performances are indicating, you know, that kind of success, I am saying that this team eventually has to figure it out. Eventually talent does just show up and outplay people. And, and I think that starts this week. And you look at the list of people that we play, you look at the list of quarterbacks that we're facing and how can you not feel bullish about the team's chances to, you know, to not even saying win out, but you know, to, 
to only maybe lose one or two games the rest of the season. If you do that, you got to be thinking that you might have a chance at making the, uh, you know, the wild card at, at the very least. And, you know, I know the Ravens are ahead of us and, and so are the Steelers now in terms of their, their place in the AFC North, but the yeah. Ravens have a much tougher schedule and we still have to face the Steelers twice. I don't think the Steelers, you know, are actually anything in this race. I think it's definitely the Browns versus the Ravens. The Ravens start facing a tougher schedule. I'm not even saying that we can't win the AFC North. The play has to improve. The coaching has to improve. But, God, when you look at, you know, some of the quarterbacks we're facing, you you, you know, you mentioned the one this week. Then we've got Josh Allen, uh, Mason Rudolph, whoever the heck Miami is starting, probably Fitzpatrick, Mason Rudolph again. I like this team's chances, man. You mentioned Josh Allen. Josh Allen's actually, you know, not – he's actually not as bad as everyone's, you know, trashing him right now. So, look, I don't even want to look past the Broncos game right now. I need uh, to, otherwise schedule. I'll start getting depressed when I just keep yeah, staring uh, at 2-5, here's the thing. man. I mean, here's the thing. Look, the Browns are what they are, 2-5. and five. They are third place right now in the north. We are looking up at the two teams we've always looked up at. Um, in fact, my buddy, uh, one of my best friends from my days in the Navy, uh, is a Steelers fan, and he sent me a text, and he's like, what the hell's going on with your brownies? And, and I kind of ignored him for a little bit, uh, half half on purpose, half, most of it not on purpose, uh, just because I, I was not in the place to answer him, but... Uh, then I sent him a smart comment back on during the Monday night game saying, what the hell is going on with your Steelers? Yeah, no kidding. And come back and, and, and beat the winless Dolphins. No, Your I Texas don't look past the during halftime. What the heck, man? Let's not look past the Broncos. The Broncos are not going to be a pushover. I look, I right now, my confidence is shot in this team until they show me otherwise. I don't see them scoring very many points in this game. Um, this is going to be a one-score game. Uh, I don't even know what the over/under is for it, but I'm going to tell you, I think it's going to be a one-score game, and it's it's going to come down to if Denver's defense can contain our offense. Are the three players in question, and that's OBJ, Landry, and and Mayfield. Um, if they shut down those three, Denver's going to win, and I, I, it pains me to say that. But don't look past the Broncos. They've got a great defense just because they don't have a named quarterback back there. Look, the Broncos have actually played great football all year long. And if you look at their schedule and the games that they've lost, they've been in every game or led every game that they've played in. And it's been this weird set of circumstances that they've lost these games. Uh, I saw an interview with Joe Flacco where they addressed that. And, they, you know, it's just very unfortunate. So, the Broncos are better than they're get, being given credit for, whereas, whereas the Browns are getting way too much credit for they haven't done anything yet. And I don't uh, think anyone's giving us credit. Who the heck? Who the heck are you talking to that's given the Browns credit at this point in the season? That credit uh, well, was all I'm, lost after like week four or five. Well, that's you know what I I am leaning back a few weeks, but you know we they all had this you know the Browns the Browns the Browns the Browns. And now that hype has died down. And quite honestly, I'm, I'm actually kind of happy to see the hype die because maybe now these boys will put up or shut up, you know, and Just get to work. That's all I got to do now, which is crazy, because did you see what happened today between uh, uh, Tony uh, Grossi and Mayfield? Uh, I didn't I didn't even want to talk about this, Eric. Why? Why? I I don't like Tony Grossi, and I don't like sometimes the maturity level of my quarterback. Can we just leave it at that? Well, Tony Grossi just blocked you on Twitter. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> I'm sure he's got some sort of auto blocker for that. I'm sure. I'm actually not blocked by him. I'm not blocked by it for as much as I hate some of the Cleveland media members, mainly pointing at MKC and TG. Um, I, I like a lot of the Cleveland media members. I think there's a lot of people that do. Absolutely fantastic work. I'm pointing directly at you, Daryl Ryder. And I know we're on opposing sides for this conflict, you know, this conflict here within Baker. But I think that guy deserves some some damn awesome credit for the work he's done over the years for how bad this team has been to still get some really good content. So enough of tooting Daryl's horn. Um, yeah. I, well, I, I know, it, it, you know it's funny that you mentioned Daryl. But it doesn't you know, matter. But it's funny you mentioned Daryl. I, what I'll try to do, I actually know Daryl a little bit personally. So, I'll see if I can get him on a future podcast. Uh, Daryl, if you're you're happening to listen to this, you have my number. 
uh, give me a call. We'd love to talk to you. Uh, but I digress. Uh, no, I wasn't mad at Baker's reaction. Was it a little bit immature today? Maybe, but you know what though? That's Baker Mayfield. And when you drafted Baker Mayfield, you got all of Baker Mayfield. And when you have, when you have Tony Grossi and look, it, it really was a dumb question. And Grossi has a tendency to push buttons well, it's not even just that. He's been pushing specifically Baker buttons since the second he came into the league. For for one reason or not, maybe it's because the two have conflicting opinions or, or differing viewpoints within life itself. I don't know. But from the second this guy got drafted, he's just been, you know, he's been out for him. And I think Baker realized at a very early stage when he started, you know, going to work every day here and having to answer questions from these guys that Tony Grossi wasn't going to be one of those guys that he enjoyed talking to. He was there because he had to be, and he didn't, you know, necessarily enjoy the conversations or the questions that Grossi would ask. Cause he's, he's poking at him for this exact reason. And, and I hate that Baker gave him this because now Grossi's name is all over the, the internet when in all honesty, he should be held accountable for the idiotic question he asked. But this whole point, you know, the fact that we're even talking about this is is him winning because he gets the clicks out of it and he gets people to chat well, about it. This shouldn't even be a story. It's, well, it's such but here's a the thing. But it's not football. It's so, it doesn't matter about the Browns. It doesn't matter about no, if we beat the Packers. Or, sorry, I just looked at the Packers. I'm, I'm referring to the Broncos, but go ahead. Well, the type of player the Baker is, he's always performed very well or responded very well to this kind of stuff. As you said earlier, the, the billboard, um, bulletin material. Yep. Um, so does he use this to springboard into a, I don't want to call it a comeback game. Cause I don't think he's fallen off. I just think, you know, he's working through things. It's a sophomore year, but like, let's just call it a comeback game. Does he use this to springboard and find that spark that he had last year? If he has to use this, as his quote-unquote bulletin board, then there's a problem. There are five but or, why? sorry, six really, five or but six why? really good reasons why. Because the Browns the are the most overrated team in the NFL after coming into the year ranked in the top ten. And to be but two and five. Cares? Who cares what Baker Mayfield uses to motivate himself? I'm saying the fact that our wins are at two and our losses are at much more should be the lone motivational factor. There are a million well, other reasons than a here. dumb media reporter in Cleveland. Directly, that should be the reason to get him going directly from Baker Mayfield. I'm going to read two tweets to you sent out today. And actually I think he addresses what you just talked about. He says, this is Baker Mayfield. Everybody wants to hear the truth until they actually get it. I am who I am mm-hmm. and always have been. Don't call it emotional when it's convenient and then passion when it fits. I care about winning. So, yeah, I'm frustrated. If I was to act like it's okay to lose, then you all would say that I've gotten complacent. My sense of urgency is at an all-time high. And if I offend anybody along the way, that's too bad. I... I couldn't be more on that boat. I want to super like that tweet. I need Twitter to put in a feature to super like. I like it. But you just kind of were contradictory to that. I mean, that's exactly How what Baker so? was saying. Because you, because when I asked, I asked if you know, it, you know, if that motivates him for the game, and then you came back and said, if that's what it's motivating him, look, I don't care what's motivating Baker. If he's using that interaction between him and Tony Grossi as motivation and get fired up for a game to shove it up Tony Grossi's ass, no, no, go I, right ahead. Uh, yeah, and, and I'm fine with that. I think you're kind of misunderstanding how I'm how I'm using the term that he shouldn't you know find motivation in that I'm not meaning that he shouldn't find motivation and I'm saying if he didn't have motivation and this was finally the spark that got him to motivate himself then there's a problem because there are a million other better reasons than some dumb reporter in Cleveland to get you motivated I'm saying this shouldn't be it can be a reason to motivate him it shouldn't be the reason to motivate him there are way more important things like wins and losses in a football game that should be the motivating reason why he should be going and angry and pissed and wanting to play well i'm all for whatever baker needs to do to motivate himself what i'm saying is this shouldn't be the one stone that turns and you know finally things click if it is then that's not you know then we might not have that sustainable of a quarterback as we might think he should be pissed off all the time because the fact that we are not playing well and our wins and losses aren't where they should be that should be why. 
Yes, he can use it as bulletin board material. He uses everything as bulletin board, but it shouldn't be the one thing that's staying up in the middle of that board. It should well, be a side piece that he uses and just glances at right before walking on the field. The only reason we're even talking about it is because we're two and five. If we were winning and Baker said something like this or stormed on out of an interview, they would they would see it. And as Baker stated in his tweet, you know, they would work it around in the story to conveniently fit the narrative that they're working on. Uh, I don't. I think the only reason this is an issue is that Baker has had some struggles this season. It's you know it's well publicized. There's no secret there, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it's because of record. And you know, again, we we have. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. All I will tell you is that when Bernie Kosar comes out and endorses Baker today and backs Baker up for his actions. To me, that says there's there's a slight disconnect between the locker room and the media room. And when it comes straight down to it, the reporters, as much as I love and I have relationships and friendships with some of the reporters in that room, um, you know, that the reporter is not going to affect the play on the field. However, mm-hmm. if Baker uses that incident to fire him up for Sunday and it leads to victory or leads to him having a great game, so be it. Use it, young man. Go out and kick some ass. Yeah, you know, and if I had to if I had to make my prediction right now for the game against Denver, I don't know why. Maybe I'm just feeling dangerous. But I think the Browns are gonna beat the Broncos by a touchdown or two. And I feel I feel for some odd reason extremely confident in that. If you look at the Broncos, holy crap, yeah, their defense might be good, but these guys cannot score one time, one time this year. In eight games, because they haven't had their bye week yet, one time this year, at least I don't think they've had their bye week. Yeah, it doesn't look like they've had their bye week. They've played eight games. We've played seven. In eight tries this year, they have scored more than 20 points one time. One time have they scored more than 20 points. And I'm pretty sure it was against the, it, it was against the Jaguars, and I'm pretty sure those points to get them over 20 came in garbage time. These guys cannot score. They just can't, and they're doing it now with a quarterback who's even less familiar with the system than a guy who, you know, at least had proven something in the league and had shown that he can throw the ball downfield. I feel very good about the Browns' chances this week, and and kudos to Connor for getting me back on the positive train, but I I really think that the Browns have maybe— there's nothing to show me directly that they've turned the corner at all. <laughs> Looking at the film, there's nothing that you know tells me that. But I, no, I just finally have I finally have the confidence that we are going to start facing teams where it almost won't even matter. You know, okay, obviously I have a Broncos, question for you. Go ahead. I have a question for you. So what happens? How far does this go? Like, let's just say, looking down, we got we we have the Broncos this week, and I told you I'm not until the Browns show me anything different. I don't feel confident. I don't even want to put a guess on the game. I just, you know, You're, I'm I'm hopeful. You are reactive. Yeah. You are not proactive. Yeah, I, what I'm saying is, so I, I'm not feeling good about the game this weekend just because the Browns haven't showed me anything. Mm-hmm. So what happens if we lose this weekend? Then we go up and face the Bills that are playing. Phenomenal. Well, let's not say I'm not going to exaggerate. Schedule, They're not schedule, playing phenomenal. Well, they beat. They are who they are, and their record says they're much better than the Browns. So I'm saying, if we played in, their record, I think we'd have almost the exact same. Okay. The well, they're they're coming into our house where we haven't won a game at all this year. The game I'm going to be at, and they, and I'm. Uh, Oh, God, if they don't win that game, it's going to be miserable. But, however, yep. what happens if we go in and we lose the next two? How much longer does John Dorsey, and more importantly, Jimmy Haslam, stick with Freddie Kitchens? Or are, do you think in this fire-happy age, especially considering Jimmy Haslam, how long are they going to keep Kitchens around if they continue to lose? Oh, if they lose the Broncos and Bills game, I just don't see how he survives. Uh, not that I'm rooting for it. I, I don't even know where I'd necessarily stand on Freddie Kitchens. I know I don't think he's doing a good job. I just hope one week things start to click because I still think he's got a great offensive mind. There are just some things I scratch my head at. And, you know, I think he will get better over time. Give him one offseason and he's going to improve vastly, you know. I, I would think that having a year under his belt would help him tremendously, although uh, that for Baker Mayfield doesn't seem to help. Um, so I will say... If we lose those two games, I would imagine he's out the door. Wow. I just don't see the Browns losing those two games. I just I just okay. don't. 
Not, right, I'm so, not saying we can't drop the game against the Bills or, you know, even split one versus one, but I just don't see us dropping both. And if we don't drop both, I think he'll 100% be on the hot seat. I just don't see it being as big of a deal as what we're making it out to be. All right, so let's just say this. So you've, you've got the Browns winning this weekend. That would push them to three and five. Uh, we would probably stay at minimum tied with Pittsburgh in second. Yep. Um, Are we doing I the schedule game? No, but I'll go out. Let's and, do no, the schedule no, no, game. No, yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. We're already running a little long. We don't have time all for right, that. All right, all right. And we've already seen that folly because we all had him going ten and six or eleven and five. Um, I think no, I so actually I had him on the podcast going twelve and four. So I'm just going to shut. Yeah. So, uh, but so I'll go out on a limb and say, okay, the Browns pull it out this week. Uh, I, I'm hopeful. I, there's, I have no rhyme or reason to think that they're going to win the game. I'm just going to say, hey, I think they win this game. Um, and and I'm saying it for self, selfish reasons, so that when I come home for that Buffalo game next week, that there's going to be this air of positivity coming off of Browns. Absolutely, win. yeah. There's going to be this energy in the crowd. I get to see you and Drew uh, at the tailgate party, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but hey. Brandon, it's been a great week, but like before we go, before we go, it's Halloween, so I've got to ask. Let's just ask some random questions here. Favorite scary movie? Ooh, Insidious, one or two. Insidious, the series, is by far my favorite, but I'll stick with Insidious, one. Favorite scary oh, movie? Mine is probably The Exorcist, probably the scariest movie Ooh, I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, yeah for another time but i have a story that goes with exorcist uh that one scared the crap out of me all right let me uh, ask you a halloween question then go right ahead what is your favorite halloween candy i was gonna ask you the same thing man, i know no, i figured I, that was coming up i mean it's one of those obvious ones man i am a reese's peanut butter cup all oh, day actually i saw you tweet about this you didn't even give an option for best halloween candy That's it was right. reese's or reese's it, it was reese's all the way and maybe <laughs> comes in sixth or seventh place behind Reese's, Reese's, Reese's. Yeah, yeah. I will say the Reese's egg for uh, Easter is definitely a top a top spot of mine. But for Halloween specifically, I just love, let's see, Milky Way, Twix, um, and Reese's. Well, those are my three. I'll go those three. Give me the chocolate oh. peanut butters. Those are three of my favorites too, but I'm a I'm definitely a peanut butter nerd. So hey, all right, so here we go. Here you go. We talked a little bit about Halloween earlier. Uh, I don't know if it was during the podcast or offline, but uh, what was your your favorite Halloween moment growing up? Well, do you know what Yu-Gi-Oh is? Or are you too old for Yu-Gi-Oh? Oh, I I know Yu-Gi-Oh. So you know Yu-Gi-Oh. Growing up, I was a Yu-Gi-Oh fanatic. I one year got the head uh, i don't even know what it's called not even a wig it was like this crazy ceramic hat that looked like the hair from the guy that was Yu-Gi-Oh and i did the whole get up outfit i looked absolutely ridiculous and it was the most uncomfortable halloween outfit i ever wore but damned if i wasn't the coolest kid on the block for rocking Yu-Gi-Oh that year that well, it's got to be one of my favorite Halloween moments. Having a little more age on you, I you know, growing up at a different time, I uh, one of the one of my favorite costumes. And looking back, I used to, no, I used to hate these <laughs> costumes, but looking back, there's such a nostalgic feel to them. They were these plastic bag, printed plastic bag costumes, and you had the mask with the eyes and the nose and the mouth punched out, and a rubber band that kept it tied to your head. And probably one of my favorites growing up was C-3PO from Star Wars. Oh, uh, yeah. And, yeah, so that that's a great, great memory for me. Uh, trick-or-treating in the old neighborhood, going door-to-door. Uh, you know, back then we could go egging houses without too much penalty or TPing houses during those times without fear of, uh, you know, criminal prosecution. Yeah, you know, right. The worst that ever happened to us is we had to go clean up a yard. Uh, but, no – Hey, it's a great time of year. The Browns are playing. Fall is in the air. Uh, happy Halloween, Brandon. And I hope uh, I hope that we're in for lots of treats this weekend. Ah, God, geez. Here terrible, we go. Very punny, bro. Terrible, terrible puns. Uh, but I hope we're in for lots of treats and not a lot of tricks. Browns, please bring it home. Please, for the uncle and the young bucks, this is, uh, this is Eric signing out. Brandon, 
Happy Halloween, my friend. Happy Halloween to you too, dude. Go Browns. Hey, Drew, stop ghosting us. We need you back. Talk to you soon, Hallow guy. Halloween will be over, buddy. We'll see you later. Ha, 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 ha.